What's up, everyone? Welcome back to a new episode of the Antler Up podcast. And on this week's episode, Dimitri and I are joined by Jim D'Agostino coming out of Keystone Precision Archery right here from Pennsylvania. And in this episode, we talked to Jim about not only his success in the 2020 season, but also what his Keystone Precision uh, Precision Archery is all about, how he's helping other archers get ready for 3D season, hunting season, arrow setup, bow builds, you name it, Jim's the guy that's doing it out there in Allentown area. So really hope you enjoy this one. He put, a, put down a really nice buck, uh, mountain buck this past year, and he dives into that whole hunt. Uh, what could he have done better? What he uh, found success in? Uh, so it's a really good episode talking through his mind about what he saw, where he went in, how he got the job done. So enjoy this episode. Thank you everybody for all your continued support. It really means a lot to us. Check out our amazing partners uh, over on our website at antlerupoutdoors.com. And while you're there, check out some Onyx stuff. Right now, if you are an elite membership, uh, you have the Western Hunt Research superpower in top rut. So you could arm yourself with the industry's most accurate draw odds, harvest data, application trends, and it's all right there if you are an elite member Onyx. So check that out. Think about doing that. You know, Dimitri and I and Mike, we use all Onyx daily when it comes to looking at things. Uh, so check out onyx.com and everybody else over on our uh, partners page over at antlerupoutdoors.com. Again, thank you, everybody. Hopefully you're all staying staying safe with you and your family. I can't thank you enough for all your continued support. So thanks again, Antler Up. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Antler Up podcast. And on the other line, we have Jim uh, D'Agostino from Keystone Precision Archery uh, from Northeast PA, kind of hunts the same area that I grew up hunting, and that's where we connected uh, a couple months ago, too, from uh, Bill at Pertner Outdoors. So, Jim, I'm so glad to finally have you on. Uh, welcome to the show, dude. Hey, thanks, man. I'm glad to be on. Thanks for having me. Anytime, man. I've, I've been dying to do this one with you, and I know we tried to, to get it back early on in the uh, spring even, and just, uh, you know, you've had a baby over the summer and uh, all kinds of fun stuff going on, so uh, I'm, I'm glad we're able to put this one together and, and actually talk about a nice buck that you put down, so we'll, I want to get into that, and we'll get into a little bit about, you know, what your Keystone Precision Archery is as well, but but man, first off the bat, congrats on another nice buck this year. Um you know, let's, let's get into that. I know Dimitri, you, you were, you wanted to talk to Jim about some stuff. Yeah. Just dive in a little bit of, you know, where you hunt, what the terrain's like and, and kind of start up from your, your preseason scouting, um, leading into the season. So I'm pretty fortunate to, um, have my pick both of public property and private property. Um, my stepdad owns, um, he has like 15 acres of private land that basically uh, a lot of ag country um, that borders up to some some you know game land, and then um, up in up in the north where uh, Jeremy's used to hunting, there used to be a hunting club up there that well, there's still a hunting club up there, but I used to belong to it. And uh, since I went away to college and I was focused on other things, I lost my kind of lost my spot in the in the membership as a as a member. Uh, which I'm hoping to get back in the next year or two. But um, so I really branched out and started scouting heavily in, in, in the uh, public land. So um, preseason, I didn't do much camera work other than on the, the private property. Um, actually, I had 
gotten a couple of good bucks on camera and I sent Jeremy some of the pictures. There was oh, yeah. two, two bucks in particular that were uh, rough score, probably like mid to high 140s, maybe low 150s. Wow. Um, which was like unheard of for, for, for that property. I mean, I've been hunting there since I've been a kid and uh, never seen deer of that caliber there. So, um, which I think is also, side note, I think it's due to the fact that um, up the street was a golf course that's recently been shut down and they turned it into like a nature preserve. So I think over the years now that deer have just uh, kind of taken up home there and been able to grow and, and, and not be bothered. So now the quality of deer in the surrounding properties are, are going to just explode. But so I kind of dove headfirst into trying to chase these couple of bucks. Um, and I realized early on that it was going to be a lot more difficult than what the guys on YouTube make it seem, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's super easy to name deer and like get them on camera, but like actually trying to like reel them in is a totally different ball game. I come to find out. So, um, yeah. So after I kind of burnt myself out chasing those deer, I, uh, started to, you know, focus more on what my roots and like how I kind of grew up hunting, which was, uh, up in the uh, Northern mountains. And, um, but to go backwards to like my scouting up there, I honestly didn't put that much mileage on uh, like I normally would. Um, like I said, because I was hunting or I was scouting and kind of going after those two giants. But, um, I, I've hunted there since I've been, I mean, I'm, I hunted there with my dad since uh, whew, probably like four or five years old, even before I was able to carry by myself. And then uh, once I was 12, I started hunting there solo. And so I, I know the, I know the mountains, you know, like the back of my hand. So I had a, a really good idea as to where I wanted to go. Um, but as the season picked up and, um, you know, I got deflated with chasing those giants around and, I don't know. Did I tell you about like what happened with the neighbor? No, you didn't. Um, I, I know in that one message you, you had like with Bill and I, you have, you mentioned something about it, but I actually didn't know what happened. Yeah, dude. So <laughs> this is crazy. Um, never experienced anything like this before in my whole life. So evidently word got out pretty quick about a couple of giant bucks running around. And um, this guy that neighbors, my dad's property you know, he's not a guy that I'd go and have a beer with, but he's a guy that we would, you know, wave or be civil with and once a year maybe share a text message or a photo or something of something deer-related because he's a hunter. He's not a bow hunter, though. He's a gun hunter. Um, so I think what changed things is that he's, you know, a couple of giants running around. So now he's kind of thinking, wow, like, you know, I have an opportunity at something like this and, and his their own. But now you know when season comes around you know i went to go in there the first day and i could smell like a like strong scent of like bleach like he had taken bleach and like poured it like around my tree wow yeah so i kind of relocated um i just kind of left that alone i didn't really want to stir the bees nest and not to mention i already taken off a couple of days at work so i wanted to just try to capitalize on the hunt uh Later on that same afternoon of the first day that I was hunting, uh, he had actually ran a skid steer up through the little like logging trail that we have that runs through the, the, the woods that kind of separates his property and my property. Right. 
So he's like running the skids here and uh, just up through the woods for no apparent reason. Um, you know, there's been numerous encounters where he's done, you know, put out a Bluetooth speaker that's blasting like coyote calls and just random things that you wouldn't do during a hunting season. Right. Right. <laughs> Other than if you're trying to like, you know, sabotage somebody, but that's insane. Did you ever, it's, it's, did, it's crazy. did you end up ever confronting him about that? Yeah, so, I mean, I took videos and uh, pictures and stuff, and I'd, like, send it to him, and I was like, dude, like, you know, I don't want to call the game commission, because, like, technically, that's a kind of harassment, right? Right. So, I didn't want to call the game commission and, and cause this whole thing, but I was just like, can you, you know, can you please stop, like, so, I, long story short, is that I just kind of got deflated, I was exhausted, I just wanted to try to salvage my, you know, bow season, I still had... I still had the better part. I still had, you know, the end of October coming up. So I went back to my old roots and I went up north and I went to, you know, uh, near the Broad Mountain, which yep. you and I have talked about, um, and decided to uh, put some miles on. So um, in years past, I've actually taken, like, my mountain bike with me in order to cover ground a lot faster <laughs> yeah. um, because – because there's a lot of like logging roads, old logging roads from, you know, years ago. And, and that's old, like coal mine country. So they put these roads in for access for when they used to, you know, take coal in and out of the mountains. So, um, it's ton, it's a ton of like easy access as far as like bikes or, or hiking goes. So I decided to take my mountain bike up and I borrowed my grandfather's game cart. So I like, you know, I get up there and, and I, uh, I get on the mountain bike and I'm, trying to figure out a way to like be able to tow this thing because i didn't really think it through i was just like it just sounded like a good idea right yep so i'm like you know riding my bike with one hand and holding with the other hand try, you know pulling all my gear on this cart you know all the way out and i get out you know three four miles to the spot that i want to hunt and uh you know I park chain everything up and decide to set up shop and i had a good idea as to where i wanted to go there was always this set of two ridges that came together that um i've never really uh like hunted fully like like sat and hunted like i've always like pushed through them during gun season but i never actually like tree stand hunted it right so i decided to give that a shot and uh it to give the more of an uh idea of what the terrain looks like it's really steep like stripping banks um a lot of heavy mountain laurel not a ton of like big trees um, everything's pretty, uh, cause they, it's one of those areas where they did, um, where the timber cuts. Yep. Uh, so you have like the sporadic, you know, decent sized trees for, for getting up in a tree stand. But other than that, it's pretty, like a lot of honeysuckles and small trees. Yeah. Now let me, let me ask you too, Jim, cause just from my experiences past year coming, like when I went home a couple times, the, the foliage and the, like, kind of like that, that brush was really, really high. So like even on any form of trail for a human to walk on, if there was a deer bedded within the timber, they pretty much were unseen. Like they could be bedded 30 yards off from a trail. And I like one, they probably would have a heart. They would, they would not see me, but they would hear me obviously, but mm -hmm. I would not be able to see them unless I walked on top of them. Do you know what I mean? Was that kind of too like, cause I'm on the side that I normally would hunt, I'm in that territory as well, where it's that steep, you know, ridges and all that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, it was super, super difficult. Like, it's nearly impossible to hunt with a bow from the ground. 
Yeah. Um, just as far as like a shooting standpoint. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's why this particular area I've only ever pushed through with guns because, um, you know, it, for, for deer drive purposes, you're able to, you know, flush them out. But, um, like you, if you, even shooting with a rifle on the ground, I'm, you probably couldn't shoot further than like 20, 30 yards, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, super, super thick terrain. And I'm not sure exactly, I got to get better with like knowing plants and stuff, but I don't know what, what they are. They're like those, that like red brush mm. is the only thing I could picture. I, you know what I'm talking about, but yep, it's hard yep. to, I don't know what it's called, but yeah, that, that stuff was about five, five and a half foot tall and it's just everywhere. Now, so now this wasn't an but, area that you've hunted archery in the past, correct? No, no, not at all. This and, was a first time archery hunt for me in this in this in this particular spot and you never had a trail camera in there during the summer or early fall no nice. nope not not on this particular spot no um yeah this was this was a uh actually out <laughs> <laughs> actually out in this uh this particular part of the mountain on the uh, opposite side of the logging road that i came in on was an old um like man-made ground blind that's been there for freaking generations. Like I remember it being there from when I was a kid, my <laughs> grandfather and I used to call it the nest yep. because that's exactly what it looks like. It's just guys wound tree branches and stuff together um, and just created like this nest there to hunt out of. Um, but I, I always had, I always thought about hunting bow in there, but like I said, the terrain just doesn't really call for it, but being, you know, getting my new, uh, like tethered setup for the year, getting comfortable with that. I, I felt like I had a better advantage to kind of crawl in and get, get into no man's land. Right. Now this, so, now this first time you went in there, you, you were four miles back. You probably, you know, was it a morning or was it an evening, evening sit yes, the first time? Yeah. So my first sit was, I actually rode in at like just, just before gray light. So it was dark when I started riding and then it became gray light. I knew as, as I got down the trail, um, as it became light, it would probably be, you know, for the best. So I'd be able to pick out a tree and, uh, and do that safely. So basically going in there, you've kind of been in there before, but never for archery. Was there a sign you were looking for? Was there just maybe a, a certain spot on Onyx that you were trying to reach and, and kind of going to just find a good tree or maybe a trail from there? What was your game plan once you kind of got in the area you wanted to set up on? Yeah. So, um, I had, I had that nest that I was talking about saved on my Onyx and I knew that I wanted to get back to that spot because at the end of that logging road, um, on either side of the logging road, there's actually these like swales that, you know, from, from over the years, I'm sure that they routed the water that comes off the mountain in, you know, all, so that way the roads don't get flooded. Right. Yep. So all of those, um, swales lead to the end of this road where this road kind of just, it kind of dissipates into the mountain. It's not like a, it just cuts off. It just kind of, the road goes out and, and that's just kind of where they stop working and it just kind of fades into the mountain and all that water runs off there and it actually created like a, like a natural swamp type area. Nice. And I remember throughout the years that the deer just loved that there. And I was just trying to think like, you know, what times of the year that I've seen deer in that area. I'm trying to think food sources. I'm trying to think water. I'm trying to think, you know, all the, 
all the normal things that all the normal tips and tricks that you would try to uh, use to pinpoint um, uh, deer activity right. and use that to my advantage. So it just, in theory, on paper, it sounded like a great spot. So, so I headed for that. Um, once I got there, um, I started to crawl up these ridges and or these stripping banks, and I'm I'm looking around as best I can. Like I said, it's pretty thick. And as I get to, as I crest, and I'm like literally on my hands and knees because the laurel and everything is so thick and, and wound together in order to get through it, you, you pretty much have to crawl. So as I crest the first one, um, and I get to the top, I literally almost put my hand in a scrape, a fresh scrape. It was, that's how lucky that this all was. <laughs> so I, as I'm cresting it and my face is, at ground level, I could smell like the musty, like the scrape was that fresh. Awesome. So immediately I was kind of like, this is awesome. I know I'm in a good spot now. You know, let's, let's find a tree. So without wasting any more time because it's daylight, um, I moved, uh, about 20, 25 yards past the scrape. I didn't want to be directly on it, but I wanted to be within full range of it. Right. So I pick out a good tree, I get up and as I'm getting up, um, I get like one or I get, my, I get my first stick on. I'm about to put my second stick on and I could hear a deer blow at me it, and it, it happened that fast. And I'm just like, Oh, now what do I do? Right. So I'm looking and I could see the chest and legs of, of a deer and I could see it like the deer bobbing its head. I have no idea if it's a buck or no. It's only about 20, 25 yards from me, bobbing his head and moving, trying to figure out like where I am, what, where that noise is coming from, all that. <laughs> Finally takes a step out and I can see it's a, it's a decent buck. It's out, just outside the ears, nice eight point. And I'm like, all right, here we go. So now what do I do? What's my decision, right? So <laughs> first thing I did was I took my, my actual, uh, my stick that was in my hand. Because I was, if you could picture this, I'm like partway up the tree. I have all my tools and everything in in my hand. My bow is still on the ground, so I'm kind of like stuck, literally. So I just took my stick and threw it to the ground, and the deer just kind of like, you know, where they put their their legs out, kind of like what the hell was that type type maneuver. Yep. Um, but didn't completely spook. Didn't didn't bolt out of there or anything. And I'm like, all right, sweet. So I start to shimmy down the tree. I'm actually able to get all the way down the tree. Uh, get my bow, knock, and then I'm waiting. And I don't hear anything. Like 15 minutes goes by and nothing. So I tried to pull like a hunting public maneuver where like I threw a grunt or two out and then I like kind of swished some leaves and stuff around in the bush that was next to me. And I ended up blowing him out of there. He took off. So that was the end of that. Um, well, that's kind of what's funny when you say that. It's amazing how that area, because growing up, there was a decent amount of pressure around that area. And, you know, even when I would hunt on the club, you know, there were more hunters at that time and, and now there's not. So now these deer do not get as like half of even as much as pressure as they used to. So when they're not totally spooked, when they see that. Yeah. I thought the, that swamp, like that water source was a good thought. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I didn't, like I said, I, I didn't have a lot, a ton of pre, uh, preseason scouting out there, specifically for postseason where I saw rubs or scrapes or all these sorts of things. And I, I really stepped in shit, like literally, you know? <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> so what was going through your head then? Like now that like the deer blew and you're, you're, you're on the ground, right? At this point. Dude, dude. So I'm like, you know how your heart, your heart starts pounding a mile a minute. So oh, I'm yeah. like all sorts of amped up. I'm like sweating at this point and <laughs> I'm just like, all right, well, let's doubt, you know, and, that, and then you start thinking to yourself, like, do I still follow through with this? Do I pick a different spot that I just blow everything out? So I told myself, like, I came all the way out here. I'm going to staying here to the, for the whole day. I'm not leaving till dark. Like, let's just get up the tree and finish the job. Right. So I'm not expecting to see anything else the rest of the day. And I get back up the tree, I get myself set, and uh, to kind of speed the story up a little bit, I ended up seeing four bucks, including the one that I shot throughout this whole day. I got blown out twice, and the mistake that I made was that when I put up, when I set myself up in my tree, I was on a on a flat in between stripping banks, and there was a second shelf that kind of went up next to yeah, me, and their eye level, and all, their eye level with you. So. Um, I mean, I learned a valuable lesson there and I've made that mistake a million times and I don't know what I was thinking, but, um, I think I was just kind of like, cause I found that hot scrape. I just kind of wanted to be close to it. And that's, that's a mistake I made, but I think I could have killed, I probably could have killed a better buck that day had I been on that second shelf. But like I said, it all worked out. I had, a, you know, an extremely lucky day. Um, but to get to, to get to the kill. I, uh, so after all this excitement went down and I seen a couple of deer got blown out twice, I'm thinking, you know, what a day I'm I'm actually in the middle of texting uh, my buddies in a group chat, explaining everything that just happened to me all morning. (laughs) Right. And I'm in this giant like book of a text message and I'm like, you know, you're angrily texting and like my thumbs are almost going through the phone. And as I'm texting, I just hear a twig break. So I stop for a second and I look up and just like 45 degree angle to my left. Uh, I just see white antler coming through like nice and easy, like real steady. And I'm like, wow. All right. It's a buck. Perfect. So I can't even send my text message. I just tuck it away in my jacket pocket. I, and now when I shoot out of the saddle, I prefer to swing into the tree and kind of put my knees into the tree. Yep. That's just like my preferred like anchor method. So I swing myself into the tree, get myself anchored up, pick my bow off. Um, I clip in and I see he's on a steady walk, like super slow, steady walk. So like literally one foot in front of the other, he was on a mission, but he wasn't like pissed off. He was just making his way through. So start putting pressure on the string. I get halfway back and then he stops and kind of looks my direction. And I'm like, not even at, I'm at like half crawl. So I just, you know, I'm at that point where I'm like, do I let down or finish drawing? So I just finished my draw and he didn't pick me out. He just kind of head bobbed a little bit where they kind of like look around, like, you know, I know you're there, but I'm not sure. Yep. And he's at like 25 yards on the dot where I had, like I said, I had, I had, uh, he was working his way right toward that scrape so that there was a trail 
that was coming right to that scrape. So I had pre, um, uh, ranged it, scoped out, yep. ranged it, yeah, pre ranged it. And, um, so I have, uh, and I shoot a single pin site, HHA single pin. Uh, so I had my dial set exactly at 25. Um, so anyway, he's working. He, he stops. He, he's not, he didn't pick me out, but he's, he knows I'm there. He puts his head back down and he kind of like browses and nudges around a little bit with his head. And he's behind thick more. And, you know, I can't hold my bow that long. So I let it down. And then as soon as I let it down, he decides to start making his move again. <laughs> okay, perfect. So I pull back, I draw again. And it's like, I don't know, I, my, everything I have in my setup is completely dead silent. He definitely does not hear me. I don't know if he just has a sixth sense or what the case is. But when I drew back the second time, he had stopped. But he had stopped where his head and his head and from his stomach back was completely covered. And I had a perfect window right to his vitals. So it was already lights out. So I had him, I had the pin settled right on him. I touched it off. And it actually was the first time this ever happened to me. And I've had, I've, I've had pass-throughs and through a lot of deer that I've shot. But this actually zipped through him so fast that when I, let, when I followed through and let the pin down after he bounded away, my lighted knock was exactly where my pin was. Wow. So I had, like, thought first, like, first split-second thought. I'm like, I missed it. And then, you know, I pick my head up and, he had turned and did like two bounds and, you know, had stopped for a second, tried to take a deep breath, let out a little bit of a, of a grunt. And I could just see everything just pouring out both sides. And right. It was like a second later, he, he stumbled and just rolled right over and ended up falling down the stripping bank. You know, that the other side of that stripping bank that I was hunting, yep. which made the drag a little bit more difficult. Of course. <laughs> but, of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But he, he literally, he, he, he died within seconds, right? At, you know, just about 20 yards. So. Well, that's what I think the, the hardest part of, about hunting that mountain laurel is we have a lot around here as well in central PA is, you know, especially if you're going in in the dark and you, and you haven't been in that train uh, beforehand and scouting out and maybe picked a specific tree is, is it's so thick and you're going to have very small pockets of openings to shoot, whether it's, you know, only 15, 20, 25 yards. Um, sometimes that's the furthest you're even going to get. So going in, in the dark and, and, and trying to find those open spots and, and, you know, whether you have a headlamp or if it's just getting uh gray light is, is trying to see whether you're going to have those, uh, openings to shoot. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and, and I should, I should actually send you guys pictures to give you a better idea of exactly how my tree stand was set up, but, uh, or my saddle rather, but, um, with the flat that I had been on, there was those, uh, I don't even know what they're called. They're like ferns. Those real small, they look like Jurassic Park type yeah. like plants. <laughs> yep. Yeah. There, it was like those everywhere in like a sporadic tree. So it was actually fairly open like around my tree, like where I had selected. Uh, so that, that worked, that kind of worked in my favor as well. But like, to your point though, getting in there and, and, uh, getting to my stand, if it had not been for me literally crawling into a scrape, I don't know how successful I really would have been. Yeah. I, I love that story because video footages of some of the hunts that I had a show in Dimitri and the one was actually identical to your setup. 
Uh, I was on this the one ridge and it was just all rocks and I was set up on the second one, like the one flat and there was still, I don't know, maybe about 20 yards uh, in front of me was going up on that last ridge before it, it, it plateaued out and a doe, <laughs> a doe came and I didn't have a, a doe tag for back at home this year and she came right across from me within 20 yards and I mean, she just appeared out of freaking nowhere like a ghost, just like, woof, there she is. And I was in the saddle. And again, I, we said this on the podcast before it, I think it's the two reasons. One, they're not pressured up there. And then two, they never, I guarantee you, I'm the only one running a saddle up at that club. So they're probably like, what the heck is this? And had no idea. And like Dimitri watched the film. He goes, man, she got close. And, and, and again, like you said, Jim, she is eye level with me. And I, I mean, I just sat there. I did not the only time I moved the camera is when I knew I was able to basically. So man, that's impressive that you were able to get that done in that situation. And, and after all, all you went through that whole day. It, it's crazy that like, you know, um, that of, of how everything worked out and I'm super thankful, super grateful. Um, one thing, if I can give any sort of like, if I take any feedback from yeah. my experience there, it would be, uh, Picking your setup, even though you're in a saddle, I don't care how mobile your setup is, picking the right tree and picking the right, you know, uh, place that, you know, w understanding where the deer are going to come from and where you anticipate them to go and having that set up to keep yourself hidden yeah. is, is the most, most important thing. And looking back on it, definitely should have gone up to the second tier and I definitely should have, um, just put myself in a better angle. I honestly, if I would have stayed on that tier, I should have actually went one stick down. I should have actually been lower in the tree and put myself at the tops of the laurels where I kind of blend to the terrain a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of putting myself so high to where I'm, I'm kind of sticking out like a sore thumb to them. And I'm also eye level to that next level. Right. Right. And what, what was the date of your buck kill? That was, uh, October 31st, Halloween. Oh, wow. Yep. Well, I know where you'll be that weekend next year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. I plan on going back there for sure um, for, for during the bow season. Um, it's going to be new hotspot, hopefully. I know, I know mountain bucks was a key term, you know, for the past year, year and a half, you know, uh, get thrown around by a lot of people and stuff. But when you do get it done, it, it's such a rewarding feeling. And I mean, I, I mean, any, any deer, whether it's a doe mm -hmm. or like, you know, for 12 year old kid shoots a little, it don't matter. Any, any deer is obviously rewarding, but those, when you put in that time and you're not seeing as many deers as, you know, some people do in, in ag fields and this and that, and you, you hike those mountains, it's, it is a rewarding feeling. Like you accomplish something that, you know, is not that easy. And that's something where you, you know, you should be really proud of yourself just because I like when that happened for me two years ago, or last year, not this past season, but the year before the 19 season, that was something that really meant a lot to me just because of taking a lot of things that I've learned. And, and, you know, like you said, you didn't really scout. You just went in looking for hot sign and, you know, set yourself up and, you know, you saw deer, you got in on deer and if things didn't work out, you knew you, like you said, your feedback would have been, okay, I need to move up. I need to get on the next Ridge and blend in a little bit more. Like you were able to take something from that, not only, learning but also obviously punching your pa buck tag as well definitely i encourage everybody to you know to stick to their roots don't get caught up in 
chasing big bucks on trail cameras and, and trying to do the whole thing. Just whatever, whatever lights you up and whatever gets you excited and you're willing to put in the time to, to, to give an all day sit if you have to just, just do that. And I'm glad that I did that. I'm glad I decided to go back to what I know. And I had a ton of luck on my side on top of it, which, which helped me. But, um, you know, like I said, I, I stuck to what I knew and, and it paid off. Well, I, th- I think too, I want, I would love to know what your mindset would have been if that was like a week and a half earlier, like, and you had that situation happen, like with spooking the deer, just because I, th- yeah. you know, I, I, I mean, I could be, you know, like, were you thinking like, okay, I'm it's Halloween. We're getting close to that rut pre rut time frame, And you know, anything could happen at any moment. Is that, was that kind of your thinking to, to yeah. get set up? I, I knew, I knew that that could, there was another cold front coming in for that, that weekend. Yeah. Uh, that was another, that was another deciding factor. Um, if I had, if it had been a week or two prior to that, um, if I remember correctly, there was no cold front there and there was a bunch of rain. It was actually warm. So I probably wouldn't have gone where I went. Yeah. Um, I honestly don't know where I would have picked. I might've tried to hunt the farm again, maybe. Yeah. yeah. I, lo- I love that. You know, like you said though, that swamp just sounds so intriguing as far as like wanting to get it set up, like in that vicinity of knowing where, you know, deer travel and, and what, what's their, their travel route from there to bedding to, to getting food and, um, yep. you know, all that type of stuff. Cause that's just something that always fascinates me. Just a guessing game as, as far as like where I hunt back at home, just because I'm always like, okay, which side are they coming on this side, that side. And yeah, I mean, historic, historically too, um, the deer have always seemed to, um, come down from elevation in the mornings, work their way from top to bottom, and then in the evenings work their way back up from bottom to top. So that's so, that's actually reverse for for us, even here, and actually for me down at the club, even. Mm-hmm. Which is crazy, right? I yeah. mean, that's just the other beauty of hunting, you know, where we hunt and in Pennsylvania and in these big mountain mountain ranges because it's. Deer can come from anywhere. I mean, you try to figure out, you try to use wind to your advantage. You try to use trails and all these different parts of sign. But I mean, seriously, I mean, I've had deer come and do things that are completely against all rules, you know? Yeah. Well, and plus we don't know where the food is. I mean, you're trying to find where the active acorns are and where they're falling. But I mean, in big mountain timber, you just don't know which structure that they're going to go from their bedding. I mean, they basically could travel any 360 from their bed and kind of wander off of and try to find feed. So you really don't know how they're going to react coming out of that, that bed or coming back into their bedding area in the morning. So it, it makes it a little more difficult when there's not ag fields where you know the, the direction that they're going to head. So, you know, it makes it a totally more of a challenge. Yep, I agree. Now, do you have any plans for this off season leading into next season as far as going in there and maybe doing a little more scouting and trying to figure out, you know, maybe a better game plan or have a couple other spots pinned out? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm going to try to not use uh, so much luck because I'm sure my luck's going to run out at some point. Um, So (laughs) I'm definitely planning on getting in there in the early season and, uh, do walking, you know, as many miles as I possibly can and, uh, put maybe even putting out a couple of trail cameras. I don't know. I'm still on the fence. Like trail cameras are a wonderful tool, but like I said, I, I kind of, I'm like one of those guys that like, 
will get obsessed and I'll be like <laughs> sipping, sipping through thousands of pictures and just, you know, I don't know. I, I'm still on the fence about that yet, but um, I definitely want to get out there and mark some more trees uh, on Onyx and, and get myself a little bit better uh, set up. And I think, I think I should be able to collect out there again. I'm hoping. Well, that's what I, I, I wonder if, if you kind of eliminated the trail camera, if, if we would become better hunters, because I think we re- rely on pictures too much and not yeah. what the woods is telling us. And I think the better hunters, I mean, you look at the hunting public, a lot of times they don't have trail cameras and look at the success they've had recently killing big mature bucks. I mean, they're going to a state. Well, you know, they came to Pennsylvania and they had no intel whatsoever. And Zach killed that beautiful buck uh, for Pennsylvania and he's never been here before. And I think sometimes with the trail cameras, we want them to do the work for us and then tell us exactly when when we need to be in there or, you know, this certain buck's going to be traveling through here. And sometimes we forget about, you know, hunting is figuring out sign and, and, and really being active as far as what we're seeing when we're out there. And I think the trail cameras take that away a little bit. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, um, I'm, we're pretty all, we're all pretty close in age. So I'd say, you know, we were still from the generation where there was no trail cameras Yeah, and you know, uh, we were taught the old school way. And honestly, the old school way is still pays off. There's the reason why guys still do that method, you know? And, uh, yeah, I'd like to go back to my roots in, in a lot of ways and, and kind of get away from trail cameras and a lot of the modern technology. And I appreciate a lot of technology, too, because things make, you know, the hunt a little more enjoyable, uh, a little easier. So um, I definitely appreciate that part. But, um, yeah, definitely. I think that if, I think everyone can take a little bit away from that where we just get away from the cameras and kind of put our ears to the ground like they did back in, you know, ancient times you know, we might, we might have a little more success. Absolutely. I mean, geez, this past year was a, a weird year because I mean, Jim, I even sent you those images of some of those bucks that I had on the uh, camera at the end of last year. where I was like, man, if some of these deer survive and uh, hopefully they, they stay in that area. And of course we didn't see any of them. It's, it's amazing how cameras ha- have changed for us as hunters. Like for here, Dimitri and I slowly use them for preseason Intel I mean, I I kept one up, a tactic cam around here just because we it's in a, you know, a really good spot and just kind of just seeing movement wise. But during the season, it didn't really give us much intel whatsoever. The other day, it, I got like 90 images because <laughs> they're looking for food right now, uh, you know, from that area. But then back at home, it, it plays a, a double edged sword for me for back at home because I'm two and a half hours away. If I see good movement, hey, I might come in. I might call off of work. I might do something along those lines. But it also kind of verifies if I need my dad to maybe move things for me. Do you know what I mean? Like if if mm-hmm. I'll, I'll mark things on Onyx, I'll share it with him. I might say like, hey, this is a possible location. Maybe this is old. Maybe it's new. You know what I mean? So like it's, it's tough. Like I appreciate the cell cams for that situation, but at the same time when they're for where I'm at right now, we don't really rely on them whatsoever when the season comes. Yeah, uh, definitely. I'm, I'm in that same boat. Um, yeah, I, I think like, like I said, man, we, maybe we just need to go back to our old roots Yeah, and I, I think it's going to do us some good. Awesome, man, dude, I'm pumped for you. What a, what an <laughs> awesome bug. I just, uh, 
I've been dying to hear the, the the whole story regarding that one. I mean, I knew a little bit about it just because of, you know, us talking and stuff, but I'm, mm-hmm. gl- I'm glad you're able to, 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 to paint the picture for us and share that information. Now let's dive into uh, your little Keystone Precision Archery. What, what, so you and I talked, man, a couple times before, before the season started and mm-hmm. you, you know, you're giving me some of that idea and I'm super glad that you went through it. So just give a, your, a little background on that. Just like, even go back to saying like what your certification and all that type of stuff and then lead into, uh, what made you start it? Yeah. So, um, what was the date now? I'm trying to think back. This was pre COVID. Yeah. Uh, it was in February of 2020. Uh, I just had to look. I'm actually down in my little shop right now. I had to look at my certification for the date. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, February 2020, um, there was a, a class called the George Chapman uh, Technical Certification School. And it's a um, – he, he hosts a couple of schools, uh, but one in particular, which gives you the certification to be a bow technician but also a dealer. So he, he gives you all the tools – and the paperwork trail that you need if you were to ever, you know, sell equipment to. So um, it was always something I wanted to have on my, on, on my bucket list to, to check off. But aside from all that, I really wanted to start something because I was really tired of getting ripped off. Um, I'm a guy that shoots a lot. Um, I shoot anywhere between 40 and 50 arrows. I try to shoot every day. Um, sometimes my body doesn't let me shoot every day, but I shoot a lot. So I go through a lot of strings lot of arrows and I just wanted to be able to you know service my own equipment and then you know once you get all that then you start thinking to yourself well you know maybe there's potential to make a little a couple dollars on this or at least recoup the money that I invested or to help me get more equipment so I kind of threw some feelers out there early on and I tried to um you know figure out what my path was going to be and what the whole goal of this whole thing was going to be and and it, it just, it's, it still is, but it started off as just a hobby, um, that a, kind of like a side hustle type thing. And I then realized that, you know, I'm sure there's more guys out there that are maybe just want to learn a little bit more or just want to work with somebody like more on a personal level where they could feel like someone's taking care of their equipment the way that they would take care of their own. Right. And, and it just kind of blossomed from there. And, you know, I had a web, uh, a buddy of mine designs websites and he made me a really beautiful website. Um, and we decided not to launch it honestly, because I w- through just different tournaments. I've been to different hunts. I've been to, uh, Instagram. I've gained enough, um, over, you know, overhead and business that I, I honestly can't keep up with it my, myself. <laughs> so, and I still want to have time for, you know, my family, I still want to be able to hunt myself. I still want to be able to work on my own equipment. I will say, so, I, I will say that means that you, you do a good job. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I'd like <laughs> to think so. I mean, um, I'm a big believer in like the proof is on the podium type type of thing where like, you know, if your equipment is out there and it's winning tournaments and if it's, and, and your equipment out there is, is killing deer. I mean, we were, my, my shop, I should I say we, but my shop was, nine for nine this year. So nine arrows were shot at nine bucks or I'm sorry, nine deer and nine deer were killed. So, um, that, that, that means a lot to me that everybody has success. Um, as far as the guys that were able to get shot. Um, I had two guys actually, um, well, if you include myself at three, I had three guys win first place 
and IBO shoots this past summer. Um, nice. So I'd like to say the success is there. Uh, I definitely uh, put in a lot of time. You know, I, I, this is something that I've always done growing up. My dad was always super heavy into this. He had kind of like a little bow shop, if you will, um, himself, where he just kind of worked on his own stuff. He was always big into 3D tournaments and big deer hunter. So um, I've been building arrows and working on bows since I've been a little kid. But, you know, in order to make it legitimate, you got to have that paperwork and people yeah. got to see that, that you're the real deal. So, and I'm still far from a professional. I'm still far from being the best. There's millions of people on YouTube of million people that do reviews and there's a lot of, a lot of good people out there. But I just like to advertise that I'm a guy that has a lot of experience, um, a lot of success. And, if, you know, I'd be willing to help you one-on-one uh, -on -one and, and, and that's it. You know, just trying to help grow sport that's awesome man and now just to even i know i would like to touch on it when we get off and everything like that before we head off but so you're where are you located just so f for people just have an idea that are listening yeah so i'm in the lehigh valley uh that's like northeastern pennsylvania yep um i'm like an hour north of philly and about an hour south of wilkes-barre awesome yep. so that's puts you pretty good location there um so now you've been so you've been doing that now for the pet like just shy of under a year and i know you've been tinkering yep. and doing on your own stuff so like what is your what's your bow setup do you change anything when you when the so, summer comes like when you uh, start dude, doing some shoots dude we gotta do like five more podcasts <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah so um I, i'm a huge tinker i mean i am a gear junkie and this is what i live for so i constantly change things so every year it's like something different but um my go-to setup is I have a 2017 Hoyt Pro Defiant. Um, I've actually recently jumped on the 80-pound limb bandwagon because um, I wanted to see what the hype was all about. It took me like three months to even get to the point where I could shoot that uh, efficiently. So um, what else? I have America's Best Bowstrings uh, Platinum Series. Nice. I got the HHA Optimizer Light Kingpin. Uh, single pin sight. Um, I use uh, a standard QAD rest. Um, I've been tinkering around with, with like hand key and some other stuff, but um, QAD has always been good to me, so I kind of stick with it. I, the, another one that I might want to try would be the HHA makes a nice uh, sight, or I'm sorry, they do make nice sights, but they make a nice rest. Um, so I might try that. Um, I think what else? Uh, B I use B Stinger stabilizers. Um, they, they've always been good to me too. Um, trying to get a hold of um, a couple other stabilizer manufacturers. I know Stokerize is on my list. I know you guys are big with those, and they're from Pennsylvania. I'm going to keep them yep. uh, in mind for the future for sure. Um, and that's pretty much it. Oh, and I use an UltraView um, grip. So it's like one of those 3D printed grips that uh, are made just specifically for this uh, year making model. It's very similar to um, like the, the ones that they make for the Matthews. Yeah. So it's that very square, very uh, flat back type, you know, uh, like a tournament type style grip. Right. And, and, and I love it. It's, it's super repeatable. It's done wonders for me. Nice. That, that tournament that I had won was actually with that, that bow. That, that, that's actually, um, that's one thing I try to, I try to push too is that, you know, hunting bows, can be target accurate yeah. and um, I love there's nothing better than going into a tournament with a, just a 10 to 12 inch stabilizer and a complete hunting setup on 
you know, anywhere from 60 to 80 pounds, whatever you choose, and sh- and shooting against these guys that are shooting 30-inch stabilizers, pulling 50 pounds, and, and out shooting them. And, and it's like, that's like a huge thing for me. I love that. It's like my favorite. Now, when, so, you, when you won, were, were you rocking those 80-pound limbs? Oh, yeah. Oh, yep. badass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it. so that was a – oh, I believe me. When I go back to this one, um, guys were ripping me by the end. They were ripping me pretty hard. You know, like, oh, big, tough guy. He's got 80-pound limbs, you know. But, hey, man, you know, like yeah. I said, proof is on the podium. So, yeah, if anybody wants uh, custom arrows or they need work on their bow, they want me to build them a bow, or if they just need some helpful hints and tricks and tips, like I said, I'm, I'm willing to help anybody. Uh, so if they could just direct message me on Instagram, that's kind of been – the way it's been running. Um, everybody that I work with kind of lives within an hour of me for the most part. Um, and then, like I said, word of mouth has done wonders. So, awesome, um, man. That's good yep. stuff. Now, before, before we get off, I want to ask you, uh, you know, what could, you know, we're this, the season's it's still going on. You have about to the 18th, but I know a lot of people kind of either already tagged out or wrapping things up and might mm-hmm. take a few, few times off, but those, individuals that either are serious hunters uh, or archers, for instance, or someone that really wants to take their archery to the next level, you know, what would you recommend like during this uh, quote unquote off season, you know, these months for, for them? Because I know, you know, I, I, for some people, they, they love to go around, shoot 3d and maybe their first 3d course that they're shooting with their buddies or their club or whatever is the first time they're going to pick up their bow again. And, you know, for the summer, and then some people don't get ready until the week or, or day before the season starts. Um, yeah. you know, like, so, you know, what do you think like right now, you know, what could people be doing to, to get better as a hunter archer or, or anything along those lines? Dude, uh, so everyone's just got to practice. That's the number one thing. I mean, I'm, like I said, I, I try to shoot every day. I try to pick a number between 40 and 50, somewhere in there, and I try to just put as many arrows down range as I can. Um, I'm fortunate, like, even in the wintertime, I have my basement. I could stretch out to 15 yards, which isn't, you know, anything to write home about, but it's enough to get the reps, and I think that's important. That, you know, even if you only have five, something to where you are going through the motions, taking your time, learning the techniques, um, and just putting arrows down range and you're just going to get better and better and better. And the, the other things are just, uh, you know, take care of yourself, exercise, keep those muscles strong because when you take that time off, you start to develop bad habits and you get back into, yeah. you know, drawing your bow again. That's always been a big one for me. Um, and then knowing your equipment, I mean, you know, in the off season now there's no pressure. That's why I love to tinker because the more you get to know your equipment, the more it becomes like a part of you. And, you know, don't be afraid to take things apart. You're not going to break it. You know, you could always fix, put it back or you could, you know, find a guy that will, you know, put it back together for you and just get comfortable with everything, you know, and, and I encourage everybody to do that. Um, you don't need to go out and buy a press and do all this crazy stuff, but learn how to tie a D-loop, learn how to fix a D-loop, learn how to put a piece, you know, or, or anything. Learn how to just maintain your bow properly and just become one with your equipment. I think that's a, that's a huge thing, too. So, yeah, the, the last thing you want is to get out, you know, three, four, five miles out, like we were talking earlier, and yeah. have something go go wrong, and then your whole day is ruined. So, exactly. Um, but, yeah, becoming one with your equipment has always done done good for me. And, and I just, you know, when, if people are just new to archery and new to archery hunting, and, you know, there's a ton of content out there between all the podcasts, like you guys, 
YouTube channels. I mean, there is so much good information. With that too, there's a lot of bad information, but there's a lot of great information out there. And I try to push everybody, you know, I'm a huge John Dudley fan, everybody knows. But uh, I'm also a Levi Morgan. And, all, and the reason why I pick those guys is not just because they're top-name guys. They have been doing this for, like, just as long as I've been alive. So that's what I trust. Well, that's you know, I- if you have 30-plus years of experience, if you have gold medals, if you have a ton of antlers on your wall, you're obviously doing something right. So I'm going to listen to you, you know? Yeah, that's what I know for, for myself is – we talked about it actually on episode one of our podcast that I don't recommend anyone go back and listen to that one because it's probably not as good as our <laughs> no. more recent ones. But we, I, I vowed to myself that, you know, we talked about goals and one of my goals last year was to shoot more and not just, you know, normally I would pick my bow up sometime midsummer or late summer and start to shoot but i vowed to myself is you know why are we doing that like you know we have all winter and not much is going on so why don't we pick up our bow and and shoot it more and become more comfortable and that's what i did this year and and i felt more comfortable coming into the season as i ever did and we had our utah trip planned too so i wanted to be extra uh comfortable and prepared going into the season and i knew we were going to shoot have to shoot a little bit uh longer distances and i knew that was my goal uh coming into the fall and i just felt very comfortable with that extra practice and you know i shot more than i ever have uh to prepare myself for a season and it it really showed um when i mean i i didn't put my i only put one doe down but as far as uh at the end of the the summer i was really comfortable we went to a 3d shoot and you know lights out yeah i I felt really good about where i was at in my shooting yeah that's awesome um we definitely got to do more we got to do more 3d shoots we got to get together with you guys and 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 hopefully covid lets us do tax this year because that was devastating (laughs) that was man oh my gosh no and i know it I, i know our buddy bill's uh he hopefully Hopefully he'll be able to make it down for that one. Yeah, I'm hoping. So I know there's some tentative dates that are put out already on the website. Yeah, um, I, I Vermont, think Vermont's I, coming out and, and PA. I, I'm picking Vermont and PA because they're both drivable for me. Yeah. Um, but I'm not opposed to doing maybe one a little further. Yeah. I, 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 that's the thing. I know Michigan's is, is like like North Michigan. I like. I think yeah, it's yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one's a hike. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think uh, I think that'd be fun. I know too, uh, like to just go back, just to rewind a little bit, just to talk about like Dimitri's how he was saying about the off season for him. And man, I, that the one we went on, uh, uh, what did we do? Just that one three D shoot. Yeah, Blue Rock. Yeah, that Blue Rock one where it was like two courses. Uh, he that day he was like Jim lights out, dude just completely oh, lights was that out. The day I was, was that the day I was supposed to go when I couldn't make it? Uh, that, no, th- was no. that the Quaker Town shoot? Okay, no, that's, that's actually the one that uh, I was at uh, with, with Mike. I went to Mike with with Mike to that one. Um, All right, I would have be, been even more upset if I missed, like, Dimitri's best day. Of archery <laughs> <ever>. <laughs> no, I mean, it was some, it was some, it was actually really fun to watch just because, I, I, I mean, just crazy fun sh- shoots, and, man, he's just – freaking lights out of just hitting, hitting a 10 ring and all that type of stuff. It was pretty fun to watch, but no, I, I, I agree. It's just something, uh, you know, it, you know, you and I talked about some, some demons that I had this past year and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, I feel like I'm that individual, like, 
if I practice more, that's when shit could get array for me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel like if I stick to a good schedule, now let me, let me say this, I could shoot every day, but that doesn't mean I need to do 10 ends. You know what I mean? Like I could right. do, I could, right. I could do three or I could, yep. and, I, and I would be perfectly fine with 15, 20 arrows, but it's one, I'll say one more, one more. And, yep. it, and it's Always. only, I only do that because I love to shoot. And that's when I felt like things started getting in my head a little bit and, uh, you know, I'm working on it and things got better. You know, I was able to put two, two, two dough down this past season. And, um, you know, I, 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 I'm overcoming the, the mental issues that I have. Um, but we're getting there. It's a process and that's the beauty of archery and that's why we love it. Yep, exactly. Exactly what you just said there is perfect. So that's what, that's what pushes, I think most of us, the guys that fall deep into archery is that, you know, you'll never be perfect unless you're Robin Hood in every arrow that you shoot, you'll never be perfect. So it's a constant like drive to want to get to that next level. And it's just, it makes it so much fun. And Jim, what do you think most archers uh, biggest mistake is, whether it's practicing or shooting, or maybe it's a technique that they, they are doing, you know, through their process (laughs) of, of shooting archery. What would you say some of the common things you see? most common things that I see of guys that come through my shop would be, um, that they're stubborn. And <laughs> what I mean, what I mean by that is that they kind of been doing something a certain way for so long. Um, and it's been successful. So they just chalk that up as that's the right way. Right. And they kind of get into these slumps maybe, um, where they start, they start to shoot a little bit more than they used to, or like they start to, they want to get into maybe doing tournaments or certain things. And, um, maybe, you know, the way that they, Maybe they're, they're the way that they, they uh, you know, shoot their hand releases is not proper or the way that they anchor up is not proper. Yeah, you know, I'm sure that they've been successful in shot deer, but when it comes to like the tournament setting, it's a completely different ballgame. So I would say the, the biggest handicap that everybody has that I see is that they're not open-minded and willing to try new things and practice those new things. Well, that's what I even think a uh, big thing for me is when I'm making a mistake is, is having someone there that can kind of watch your technique or watch your form, even if it's your wife, you know, yeah. I, I've had my wife out yeah. there and, you know, I mean, it's easy for her to take a picture or a video or, you know, watch where I'm anchoring or watch what I'm, you know, when I'm hitting my release, you know, they can easily see when you're doing those sort of things and, and kind yeah. of give you some feedback, you know, so I think that's a big way for me to kind of fix my technique is because when you're actually doing it, you, you don't know what, what kind of form you're, you're performing when you're shooting, you know, cause you're yep. active in the moment, but having some secondary set of eyes on you and, and to really critique yourself. That's why I like going to 3d shoots or, or shooting with friends is because when you have an issue or if you feel like something's off, you can say, Hey, can you watch me for a second and see if I'm doing this or, you know, kind of watch me or take a picture or a video. And, and that right. way you can kind of dive in a little bit deeper into your technique. Yep. I encourage everybody to, if, if they can, to have somebody like film them. I always have my wife when she's available to, to film me in slow-mo. Um, and and that, that's helped me tremendously too. Uh, you know, I, I make a ton of mistakes like everybody else. I mean, like I said, I'm not a professional. Otherwise I'd be getting paid to do this. So, <laughs> um, But yeah, uh, that's another thing I encourage everybody to kind of film themselves and, and break down their, their techniques. And, and the other thing is I don't, I'm not a true believer. I'm not totally sold that like there's a, an exact right or exact wrong way. 
I think that everybody kind of finds their own way um, and it's kind of custom to their body type and to what feels most comfortable and repeatable to them. Yep. So I think archery is kind of custom that way. I know that a lot of these, uh, you know, YouTube videos where they push these specific techniques and I think those are great baselines, but everybody's a little bit different. So I think that there needs to be a little bit of wiggle room there, you know? Awesome, man. Well said. I like that. And, you know, good way to end it. I like that, dude. Yeah, man. So let's do it. Let's get out and do some uh, some 3D shoots this year. Let's do it, man. I'm, I'm down and uh, we, we got TAC. We'll have some PA stuff coming up and uh, put on your radar. And uh, right before TAC this year, sometime in May, we're going to do that thing with uh, Tethered. So Sweet. Yeah, I'm excited for that. Awesome, man. Well, dude, I appreciate you coming on. You know, give people uh, where the information where they could get a hold of you if they're in that area and they're looking to get some some arrows built and uh, their bows worked on, or just heck, even to to get some better shooting technique. Yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, you can find me at Keystone Precision Archery on Instagram. That's Keystone underscore Precision underscore Archery. I know it's long. Maybe one day down the road, I'll switch the name, but that's it for now. <laughs> so. Yeah. Feel free to message me on there. Um, like I said, I'm in Lehigh Valley. Uh, if you just shoot me a message on Instagram, I give you the address, my phone number, and we can go from there. Awesome, man. Well, dude, I appreciate appreciate you coming on, and uh, thanks for sharing your buck story with us. And hopefully, a lot of people could learn a little bit from that. And uh, like you said, just man, just get out and enjoy enjoy what archery has been given to us the, these last couple of years. We've really, uh, as far as technology and everything, has has really taken off and I just, it's, it just makes it more fun to, to shoot every day that when you're able to and, uh, grow, become a better hunter, become a better archer in general. And, uh, I love it, man. I, I appreciate you coming on and hopefully we'll do another preseason one once we're, uh, in the dog days of summer and we'll be gearing up to, maybe you'll be telling us a little bit about those two bucks that, uh, did they survive? I, I know we're kind of wrapping it up, but I just want to know did those two bucks survive that this past one season. One did not one did not okay one did not so we'll one we'll, did not we'll talk about in the summer when you get pictures of that probably you know if he was one, <laughs> 140 150 well, he, he's he's got to be yeah. up there now it wasn't the neighbor yeah. that killed him was it no it well it was a neighbor it just wasn't that neighbor good so, okay thank god for that <laughs> good yeah yeah screw that yeah. neighbor but yeah. awesome jim yeah. well thank you man we're, we're gonna do this one again uh everybody check jim out at keystone precision archery till next time antler up and that's a wrap for another episode of the Antler Up podcast. Thank you, Jim, for coming on. Really enjoyed st- talking to you and looking forward to seeing what uh, what's gearing up for 2021 as we get going for uh, 3D season and, and preparing for next season already uh, when we get together, hopefully in the uh, late spring, early summer. So hope you enjoyed that one, everybody. Check Jim out uh, with Keystone Precision Archery. Until next time, everybody, Antler Up.